This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Friday, January the 13th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, the long list for this year's Canada Reads has been revealed. Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access will put a spotlight on a few of those titles. And Michael McNeely has a review of the biographical drama, Till. Before you get any of that, here is the regional news update. Beginning in British Columbia, the B.C. government has created a half a billion dollar fund to protect rental properties and their tenants from housing speculators. The Rental Protection Fund allows non-profit groups to buy older buildings. Premier David Eby says this addresses a core problem in the housing market. And for too long, this housing crisis has worked to the benefit of speculators and investors instead of people looking for a place to live. Uh, Increasingly, we're seeing activity across Canada and in British Columbia of large international corporations buying up rental buildings, speculating to uh, earn investment income on homes that people count on affordable rent. Over to the prairies, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith has rolled back on seeking pardons for COVID-19 health violators. Smith says she will leave the COVID cases to prosecutors, but says she is in contact with them. I do want to make sure that they have an independent process for assessing that, but I ask them on a regular basis um, as new cases come out, is it in the public interest to pursue and is there a reasonable likelihood of conviction? Now, the Provincial Justice Department is contradicting Premier Smith's remarks, saying she has not been contacting prosecutors. And over to Ontario, not to step too much on Alex Smythe's weather report toes, but Environment Canada says some parts of eastern Ontario can expect more snow today after a winter storm dumped heavy snow in the area last night. Parts of the region, including Ottawa, Cornwall and Smiths Falls, are under winter storm warnings. Other parts of Ontario, including Hamilton, Niagara and Kingston, are under winter weather travel advisories due to the possibility of reduced visibility and slippery surfaces. And finally, in Atlantic Canada, the head of emergency medicine for the Halifax region says ERs across Nova Scotia are under extreme strain. Rob Westgate takes a closer look. Dr. Kirk McGee, chief of the Central Zones Network of Emergency Departments, says emergency medicine is in a state of crisis amid a shortage of nurses, physicians, and hospital beds, and with a rise in patients with complex needs. He says the pressure that ER staff are under has resulted in stress and long-term exhaustion that have driven many to reduce their working hours or even leave the profession. Data released Wednesday shows deaths in Nova Scotia emergency departments were up 10% in 2022 from the previous year. Rob Westgate, the Canadian Press. That's your look at the regional news. Brock Richardson is here for a sports chat. Brock, you've been running laps all around the sports world this week, but we have not landed on basketball just yet. So let's talk about the Toronto Raptors, winners of three straight, right 
on the edge of playoff contention, or at least the playoff play-in contention. But Brock, there are bigger questions surrounding the Raptors, i.e., should they tank this thing? Should they give up on the playoffs? Uh, there are big questions, and the uh, two picks that are suggested to be number one overall, the top two could arguably be number one picks overall, but I struggle with this idea of tanking. Um, first of all, it's hard to tank in sports because you have to tell athletes with athlete brains who say, I want to win, I want to win, I want to win, I want to win, that they don't need to win. And so this becomes hard to sell this. Secondarily, I would say that when I'm going to say this the way I feel, I almost think that tanking sort of makes the sport, in whatever case, uh, look not necessarily as in as intact as it could no one likes to watch a team tank it's i understand why they do it because they want a better draft pick to build their team but i just don't like the optics of tanking david i'm not a fan but if you're the toronto raptors do you want to be idle in mediocrity for the next 10 years because even if we consider this three-game winning streak they're on beating up on a real bad charlotte team for two of those wins they're still in the bottom eight in terms of overall record in the league right now maybe they're going to win one play-in game but get bounced before they actually even make the playoffs by losing the second play-in game and it's not as if players like Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet are spring chickens anymore they're both 28 years old they'll be 30 when their contracts expire did you know Chris Boucher is 30 years old people think of Chris Boucher as this young gun they're they're big men but he's 30 years old he's an older gentleman by basketball terms if if you're really looking at this team Brock other than OG Ananobi and Scotty Barnes, and to a certain degree, uh, Gary Trent Jr., a lot of the core is going to be older or a little bit past their prime in a couple of years, which means what are you building towards? If you're not good at this very moment, what are you precisely? And you mentioned the number one overall pick or the projected number one overall pick, Victor Wembignana out of France. This is an alien. This is a seven foot two, 229 pound center who handles the ball like a point guard and shoots three pointers like a shooting guard. This is an elite, elite franchise changing player who's going to go first overall in the draft this year with a couple other really good players projected in the top five as well. Brock, I'm not quite in the actively tank category here. But maybe it's time to have a really honest conversation about Fred Van Vliet, whose contract expires at the end of next year, and Pascal Siakam, whose contract expires at the end of next year. You could probably get a King's Ransom for both these players and really supercharge this rebuild, especially considering the capacity and capability of Masai Ujiri and the rest of that front office. And I think what's scaring the general public Raptors nation is that we don't want to go through a situation where we're god awful for you know the vast majority of you know two and a half decades and I think that's fair and I understand and as a fan I, I look at this and I agree with it I just have trouble like you said with the idea of 
let's just go lose a bunch of a bunch of games. I mean, I remember you and I talked early on in the Raptors season about the Indiana Pacers, how they, you know, were going to be, you know, awful this year. And they've year. been good. And, they've been good. And they've been good. Yeah, exactly. And they haven't been that way. And, and I mean, imagine a, a franchise, uh, you know, a team, you know, a team fan base who basically gets told, Hey, we're gonna we're gonna tank. You know that that that's a hard sell. I understand Indiana's you know been good and that that's okay. But when an organization basically sort of admits, hey, we're gonna be bad, you know that that's tough. But yeah, I I agree as well as a fan that like you don't want to be twenty years in into where we were because man, those were some hard years when they yeah. when they first came in and beyond that. I never thought I'd Raptors win a win a championship and. I can say that I have, and hopefully I can see uh, many more. But there's some other Toronto teams I'd like to see win a championship. But I digress on that topic. Yeah, so. Brock, we'll, we'll do a more thorough basketball talk next week. But let's go rapid fire through the NFL wildcard weekend. Sort of one thought and a pick for each of these games. Are you ready? Yep. First game of the weekend, the San Francisco 49ers playing host to the Seattle Seahawks, an old-school rivalry renewed. Brock, I've got the Niners blowing the Seahawks out tomorrow afternoon. Me too. San Francisco wins that easy. Yeah, the defense is just too good. That San Fran defense is amazing. The evening game tomorrow night, one of the more interesting games on the schedule because of two young emerging quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars playing host to the Los Angeles Chargers and Justin Herbert. Brock, what's your feeling on this one? I like uh, I like the uh, the home team winning on that one. I you know this is this is a good young quarterback and it's good to watch. So I like the Jaguars in this one too. I think that defense is sneaky underrated and Trevor Lawrence, this dude knows how to win come playoff time. We go to early Sunday afternoon, the one o'clock game, the Buffalo Bills playing host to my Miami Dolphins. Well, your Buffalo Bills playing host to my Miami mm-hmm. Dolphins who are they are going to give a spanking to. Yes. Uh, Skylar Thompson just, doesn't get it done for the Miami Dolphins. I'm sorry. Yeah, the Bills are relentless and they're the feel-good story in the playoffs right now, so that's just how it's going to go. One of the games that has the potential to be ugly but also quite interesting is the 4 o'clock game, the Minnesota Vikings playing host to the surprising New York Giants. I like the Vikings here, Brock, but I sense this is going to be a little bit of an ugly game. I like the New York Giants because I like Brian Dable. I think I like what he's done with this team. I think he's got a little bit of extra motivation with what's going on in Buffalo with support of the Buffalo Bills. I like the Giants in this situation. Yeah, Brian Dayball, good head coach, really good head coach. He's reinvented that Giants team, no doubt about it. And we get to the Sunday nighter, Brock. We'll talk about the Monday nighter on Monday, but the Sunday nighter, the Baltimore Ravens visiting the Cincinnati Bengals. I've got the Tigers just straight up mauling the Ravens on Sunday nights. Cincinnati Bengals win this one going away which sets up uh buffalo cincinnati Bengals playoff game which would almost be poetic given what happened on uh, the cincinnati field a couple of weeks ago brock it sounds like we agree a little too much other than that giants game so we'll have to do a better job of uh, forcing conflict <laughs> amongst ourselves in the meantime my friend you enjoy your weekend enjoy all that football enjoy the hockey enjoy the basketball enjoy the college basketball and everything in between brock all the best to you we'll talk to you on monday All the best to you as well, and we'll talk to you Monday. That is Brock Richardson. He's the host of the Neutral Zone. He's at the AMI Sports Desk. Alex Smythe is at the AMI Weather Desk.
your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. As David mentioned at the top of the hour, there's a lot of uh, big storms coming in for Ontario, but also Quebec and out east. So we'll start in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where there's snow starting this afternoon, and then it's becoming heavy overnight before switching to rain. There is a high of minus 2 and a wind chill of minus 11, but there's also both a winter storm warning and a heavy rainfall warning in effect for the area. To Charlottetown PEI, snow beginning this morning, then turning to rain in the afternoon, up to 20 centimeters of snow and up to 10 millimeters of rain expected. There's also wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. The high is 9 with a wind chill of minus 10. And again, both a winter storm warning and rainfall warning in effect for that area. In St. John, New Brunswick, snow changing to rain this morning there's up to two centimeters of snow but up to 40 millimeters of rain expected there's also wind gusts up to 80 kilometers per hour in some areas the high is 11 degrees and as you expect the rainfall warning is in effect to quebec city quebec it's more on the snow side with heavy snow expecting to dump up to 15 centimeters over the course of the day wind gusts up to 80 kilometers per hour in quebec city and the surrounding area the high is minus 2, and the wind chill is minus 11. Again, a winter storm warning is in effect. Here in Toronto, there are snow flurries this morning. Then it's cloudy with a chance of snow in the afternoon, but only up to 2 centimeters expected. There's also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 3, feeling like minus 11. To Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow this morning, but then clearing up by noon. The high is minus 6, feeling like minus 20. To Brandon, Manitoba, it's mainly sunny. There is a chance of snow later in the afternoon. The high is minus 4, 20, minus 22 with that wind chill. To Regina, Saskatchewan, it is a mix of sun and clouds and a high of minus 1, but feeling closer to minus 24. To Lethbridge, Alberta, it's a beautiful day in southern Alberta. It's a mix of sun and clouds. The high is 10 degrees. Up in Red Deer, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds as well. Four is the high, but there is that wind chill and it makes it feel like minus 14. The Whitehorse Yukon, it is cloudy with a chance of light snow this afternoon. Minus nine is the high there with a wind chill of minus 18. To Kelowna, BC, rain throughout the day and high is four degrees for Kelowna. And finally in Vancouver, there is rain off and on today, up to five millimeters expected to fall and a high of 10 degrees. That's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Looking forward to chatting with you a little bit later in the round table, but coming up next, Michael McNeely reviews the biographical drama Till, but before you get that, LG is showing off an almost wireless TV. Mike Dubuski tells you more in Tech Trends. is plug it into power. That's all you have to connect to the television itself. Digital Trends' Caleb Dennison says if you have a cable box or a game console... You just plug them into this little black cube box, uh, and that transmitter can be anywhere up to about 30 feet from the TV, and it will beam wireless audio and video to the TV. LG says it uses a proprietary system to cut down on latency, the time it takes for the TV to respond to an input. It worked great in the demonstration that I saw. How well
well it's going to work in real life. That's what reviews are for. No official pricing yet, but last year's top-end LG retailed for about $25,000. And that's without the wireless get-up. So I'm assuming that this new one will probably be a little more expensive. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The film Till has dropped on Amazon Prime. The biographical film is co-produced by Whoopi Goldberg and stars Danielle Deadweiler as the title character. Here to share his thoughts on the film is Michael McNeely. Hey, good morning, Michael. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. Michael, the film is based on the story of Mammy Till Bradley. Why is their story so significant? The story is so significant because Mamie's son, Emmett Till, who was named or nicknamed Bo, was unfortunately the victim of a very devastating hate crime. He was lynched and as a result of being tortured and murdered, the, the event spearheaded more or less the civil rights movement shortly thereafter. To help understand the film, there's a short excerpt from a poem that you'd like me to read by Gwendolyn Brooks. A Bronzeville mother loiters in Mississippi. Meanwhile, a Mississippi mother burns bacon. Why is this so fitting in the context of this film? So we have to remember that Emmett or Bo was a 40-year-old boy in 1955 in the midst of the United States, some struggle with segregation. He had a very loving relationship with his mother, with his mother, and they both lived in Chicago. Um, Emmett wanted to go on vacation to see his cousins in Mississippi, and unfortunately, he was not prepared for the change in social values. Um, when traveling to the Deep South at that time, his mother tried to warn him about the change in values, but like she said in the film, I, I spent 14 years loving my son and teaching him about love, so he was not prepared to discover hatred. So we get to Gwendolyn Brooks' uh, poem, which I studied in university and which I've been waiting to be adapted in a film all this time. It's, it's an interesting poem because it's structured like a fairy tale, but it's a fairy tale from the white person's perspective. So from the perspective of the white woman that Emmett whistled at and which led to his eventual death. So it's a fairy tale where the white woman has been saved from the evil dark villain, which of course is coded for black, um, from, from, she's been saved from the villain by her husband. And so I will read this poem. I will just an excerpt from the poem whenever you're ready. Uh, go ahead. The fun was disturbed, then all but mollified, when the dark villain was a blackish child of 14 with eyes still too young to be dirty, 
and much too young to have. But every reminder of his infant softness. That boy must have been surprised, for those were grown-ups. Grown-ups were supposed to be wise. And a fine prince and the other, so tall, so broad, so grown. Perhaps the boy had never guessed that the trouble with grown-ups was that under the magnificent shell of adulthood, just under, where did the baby full of tantrums? So step there. I think you can see how how Emmett, as a black child, was painted to be a villain. How um, how the the white women supposedly needed to be saved from the dishonor that he caused, and how perhaps Gwendolyn Brooks is imagining a sense of regret for this hate crime happening. Michael, you've laid the history out for us there, and Till does not necessarily focus on the hate crime itself, but focuses on the mother's grief. How is that represented? So by my, by my measurement, the hate crime is finished 40 minutes into the film, Emmett is dead. We still have an hour and a half left to deal with Mamie's grief about losing her son. And I think that is really the essence of the film in a nutshell is in the past, I think we've seen hate crimes in film before, but we haven't really seen the consequences of the hate crime. So if you think about Michael B. Jordan's film that took place on the subway station, he was shot and that was the end of the film. But here, um, that film is called Fruitvale Station, by the way. But here, um, we have this hate crime, and then we have to deal with the consequences afterwards. We have to look at the family's faces. We have to understand how how it affects everyone. When you're dealing with subject matter like this, sometimes there's a temptation for a director or a filmmaker to lean towards sensationalism. How did this film handle or balance sensationalism? Because it alternates, it alternates scenes when the hate crime is happening, it alternates scenes with what's going on in the mother's life, what, what she's going through, and it makes you, it makes you face the reality of what happens. You can't turn away from what is happening. It's not there for entertainment purposes. It's there to, you know, make you feel something, to make you feel the horror that has happened. Um, I think I think that's it's a it's a tough line it's a tough line to straddle because it's very easy to be sensationalistic, but I do think that this film has avoided that. Let's go back to the lead actor Danielle Deadweiler. How was Danielle Deadweiler's performance? Nothing short of spectacular. Um, at the end of the film, there's a court sequence where the two murderers are brought to court. And even though it's a um, it's a joke of a trial, um, Danielle Deadweiler gives a monologue that will put the house down. Um, I really hope that she gets nominated for an Oscar for this. And what's really interesting with that scene in the courthouse is that the camera starts to slowly focus in on Danielle Deadweiler's face 
and zooms into her face as she's giving a monologue and as she's been questioned by the defense. And you can see that she cannot escape, we cannot escape. We are stuck there with her in the courtroom. And I think that's probably one of the most powerful scenes I've seen in the courthouse or in the courtroom. Um, because as we all know, giving testimony in court is stressful for anyone, but especially for black folks in 1950, standing up against the white oppressors that have more or less murdered his son. Um, I can't even imagine what that would be like. And at the end of the defense interrogation, um, Mamie gives a one-off sentence and she says, you've killed my son all over again. I think my heart broke at that point because that is true for so many people that when you go to trial, you relieve the trauma that you're trying to overcome in the first place. Hmm. Michael, I know you don't like it when I try to box you in with this as a last question, but how would you rate Till out of 10? I think I would probably give it an 8 out of 10 at this point. The reason for this seems strange, but I was distracted by the Coca-Cola product placement. Um, I'm still coming to terms with it. I understand that Coca-Cola had a big presence, especially in the Deep South, but I wish that the film had talked about that. Coca-Cola was, was, was being sold at the store that Emmett went into that led to the hate crime happening in the first place. And in the courthouse, the judge asks for a can or for a bottle of Coke. I can understand if it's hot, we're tempted to have Coke. But I just, I just, you know what I mean? I was just thinking in 20, 23 terms of having Coke advertised in a movie. Michael, thank you for your thoughts on this film. We appreciate it. I think um, everyone needs to know about this story. I've been waiting for this story to be told, even with the Coca-Cola advertising. Um, it's still a very important story. And please don't forget about the now dead one when it comes to the Oscars. Hmm. Thank you, Michael. That's Michael McNeely with a review of Till. The film is rated PG-13, is available to stream on Amazon Prime with closed captioning and audio description. Coming up after the break, we roundtable it up. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. AMI audio producer Nazreen Abdel-Majid and Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, are standing by. But Alex Smythe has a question for you all. Yeah, so this really comes from uh, a bit of uh, pulling the curtain back my real life experience. Uh, uh, for the past, like, almost a year, essentially, we've been kind of dealing with uh, troubles in the basement and we've had to go through a lot of uh, upheaval and now we're remodeling everything we're bringing it all back together and it's in like the final stages of being complete and this is where like all the design elements come into play you know picking out colors uh, picking the right pieces uh, the the right uh, materials things like that to really bring the room and the spaces together. So I, I wanted to kind of open it up to the floor and find out from you guys. I know we've talked about, 
you know, physically like building things and, and how handy we are. And I, if I recall, we're not all that handy, but what about when it comes to the design sides of things? Are you guys good at modeling spaces, decorating, design? So uh, we'll start with uh, you, Ramya. Are you, are you good when it comes to decorating and designing a, a space? I'm glad you're starting with me, Alex, because I hope it's only going to get better from here. I'm terrible. <laughs> uh, I'm a minimalist. I think that that's really the the bulk of it. I don't enjoy having stuff. Um, and that means that <laughs> even if it looks good, even if it would add aesthetic pleasant to my room, my, my space, I am willing to forego it for the pure uh, enjoyment of not having things to bump into, clean, or um, have to take care of. So yeah, that's that's my bottom line. Can I go with love-hate relationship? That there's some components of it that I like. One of the most fun parts of my entire apartment being flooded last year is that I got to Ugh. pick a new floor color, and it was super exciting and also super stressful and the worst that I fought with everyone in my life. But I love my Willow Wilshire floor or my Wilshire Willer, mm. Willow floor. I adore it. I love it so much. Uh, I'm currently ha on my third nervous breakdown of the week, trying to figure out uh, some strip lighting to go along with my uh, my Amazon smart speakers uh, to try and coordinate that. So uh, that's proven to be quite difficult. So can I go with love-hate? I seem to like the end results, but I don't like the process. What about you, Nazreen? Uh, I absolutely love it. I hate the prices, but I love everything else. Designing, interior designing is always um, so exciting for me, whether it's just a bedroom or the whole house. I love it inside and out. And my dad, my dad, he's a, you know, as you, as you guys know, I'm not a builder. I don't, I'm not good at any of that stuff but my dad he's very talented in that sort of thing so he always takes our opinions and they have good opinions too like they are they have really good taste but uh yeah i feel i feel like it's always exciting when it comes to that alex you've just lived through it so if you were to evaluate what you're going through in this moment pretend i'm your therapist how are you enjoying <laughs> this process it's a fascinating process because i think as you mentioned dave you you have that love-hate relationship. You go through the highs and the lows. Like you think you okay, some things are coming together. Okay, I I paired the floor color style with a, a paint color that's going to work really well on the walls, and 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 we have certain accent pieces. And part of the struggle for me is when I know what I want, but trying to find what my vision is for the space. Like trying to find the right furniture was a struggle and i you end up kind mm -hmm. of uh i i guess almost uh just kind of figuring out something that will work uh, in the space it may not be ideal because as nasreen talked about prices are insane like even finding like a, a wall shelf or or like something like a, a big bookshelf essentially to have uh on against one of my walls was hugely expensive so it's like okay well instead of spending thousands of dollars on that okay what is something i can do that's cheaper that will still get the same purpose somewhat of a good look but it's not going to break the bank to do so so that's really where i'm at and it's like bringing everything together it's like okay well i thought these colors and these patterns were working but are they still working as we're like seeing it all come together yeah. in the room that we talk about like part of the room we're designing has a fireplace so i decided to go with a mosaic tile 
because I, I always really like that look. It's like, okay, well, does it work with the, the wall color? Does it work with the flooring? Is it too much in the space? Is it too little? Is it getting lost? There's all these little self-doubt moments that I'm having right now. Nizreen, giving a last word on this conversation to you, do you experience that self-doubt? I do. I, there's no there's no doubt about it. When it came to my bedroom when we first moved in, I was like, I need a new fresh start. I need something that's going to be permanent. And this is the thing, Dave. I think of interior design as um, a future boyfriend, okay? A future relationship. If you want it to work out long term, you got to really think about it. You got to think about the pros and cons about this, but you want to think of it long term permanently. Will this work out for me in the long run? Will I really love it in the long run? And uh, yeah, but it's exciting regardless. Have, have I ever told you guys the story of when I was moving here and I got to buy a new sofa and I was so excited that I got to buy a new sofa and then I burst out crying in the middle of the brick on a Tuesday afternoon because I'd spent four hours looking at sofas and I couldn't decide which sofa was going to best <laughs> reflect my new life. So uh, yeah, so love-hate relationship through and through. Alex Nizreen, we wish you both a great weekend. Ramya, you don't get to go away just yet because you are still on the clock as a co-host of Kelly and Rumia coming people's way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. What's coming up on this Friday edition of the show? We are talking app updates. So many of our Friday show staples have not changed, Dave. So John Bueller is still joining us for our app update. He's recapping his visit to the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas. I don't know if he's still there. Sometimes he joins us straight from there and you get the nice sounds in the background. But uh, he's talking about uh, wait, various he, wait. things. He's still in Vegas? He's still in Vegas know. after CES? My um, gosh. I don't know. Maybe. We'll find out. I'll tell you what the background sounds like. Okay. And then he's talking about several things. But in terms of accessibility, there's an autonomous wheelchair that caught his attention. He's going to tell us about that. Um, also, there's a record that was broken in 2022 in the audiobook world. And Ryan Huey's going to tell us more about that on the chatty bookshelf. And one thing that has changed is that Susan Kearney, our gardener, is joining us weekly on the program on Fridays. So she's going to join us with the gardening segment. Oh, Friday gardening. Now we are getting yeah. some on Kelly and Ramya. I mean, listen, Ramya, I'll be clear with you. If AMI ever sent me to Las Vegas on a business trip, I also might extend my stay by about a week on sure. the back end. Although AMI would be smart enough not to send me to Las Vegas At on all? a business trip because they know that uh, I would not be able to execute the show the next day. Well, yeah, that is a problem. Maybe if you were like an evening show, right? Ooh, even, no, no, no. The no? temptation comes for you Afternoon in Vegas show? 24 hours okay. a day, Romeo. The blackjack tables never close. and uh, I they... think the uh, only option here is to send us along with you, Kelly, myself, some other people, just to keep an eye on you, Dave. Can't trust yeah, you. Yeah, that's it. I definitely need chaperones and supervisors, although the risk yeah. is then I would drag you guys into my own whirlwind of craziness. No, no, no. We'll be good. Well, well, you know what? You know, John, Kara, David, just send us out to Las Vegas. We'll be yeah. fine. We'll execute yeah. many, many great shows. For, uh, you know, we'll for take some, care of Dave. Somewhere down on the strip. And so we, we need to send a scorpion spotter with us, though, because they have tarantulas and scorpions in Las Vegas. And you know, I don't like that. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Boom. Out. Done. Completely. Rumya, have a great show, a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday. Sounds fantastic. That's Rami Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Company, which comes your way at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. And just like this show, you can find it on your favorite podcasting platform. Just search for Kelly and Ramya, just like you can search for Now with Dave Brown. And don't forget to subscribe, like, share with your friends, 
all that good stuff, depending on what platform you're at. Coming up next, the long list for Canada's re for Canada Reads has been released. Karen McKay from the Centre for Equitable Library Access will put a spotlight on a few titles. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Here's a question for you. If somebody formally renounces their desire to be royalty, do I still have to call them a prince? Because Prince Harry has launched his autobiography this week. Spare memoir, autobiography, you take your pick. But Prince Harry has a lot to say, and there have been a lot of people saying a lot of things about it. Well, the Centre for Equitable Library Access has this one on file, and Karen McKay, the communications manager, is here to tell you a little bit more about it. Hey, good morning, Karen. Great to chat with you. Good morning. So let's talk about Spare. Karen, it's been all over the mass media. How are people responding to it? Well, I think folks are really interested in it. It's actually been one of the fastest selling or the fastest selling books in Penguin Random House history for a nonfiction book. So in the first day, it sold almost one and a half million copies across the US, Canada. And folks are definitely interested. Yesterday on the show, we were having a conversation about the narration of audiobooks, about an artificial intelligence narrator versus a human narrator. What do you think about Harry's narration on this one or Harry making the choice to narrate it? I think for memoirs in particular, it's really valuable to hear from the from the author, from the writer, because you get a sense of the the way that they want to emphasize things, the sort of the emotion in their voice. I think that it really leads to a more authentic kind of experience than perhaps a, a synthetic voice or AI type of narration. So I'm pleased that he's narrated this one. Also, I mean, I kind of love British accents. My family's <laughs> British, so there's there's that piece too. Have, have you had a chance to uh, give it a peruse yet? I've read just bits of it, um, mostly for work purposes, just to to chat about it. Um, and it's intriguing. I, I'm kind of on the fence about whether I want to read the whole thing or not. It feels a little bit like you're in the middle of a family fight, and I don't know if that's where I want to be. <laughs> but it is one of those cultural books, like you know, that that everybody's talking about, and that I think may shift some important conversations. So yeah. I'll probably read it, but I don't have it on my pile yet. It's one of these things where it's been so present in the media that I feel like I've already read half the book, that I already know half the exactly. stuff in it, including, and I don't know how to put this exactly on a G-rated show, but about the first time he ever consumed, let's call it coca-cola using a uh, rolled up bill with his uh, grandmother on it that he uh, said hi granny right before he took a big big deep breath so to speak uh karen let's move on before i get us in trouble uh the no canada reads has dropped their long list now there's 15 titles that have made the cut but you wanted to highlight a few of them and i know the first one you have in mind is was written by a good friend of mine well, that's why I picked it. We've talked about this before. It's Moon of the Crested Snow by Wabashig Rice. And it was published in 2018. So it's a bit of an older book. Um, the theme for this year for Canada Reads is one book to shift your perspective. And so um, I don't know what the short list is, but I wanted to point this one out because I do think this is a book that would shift folks' perspective if they haven't had a chance to read it. So I wanted to bring that one up. Yeah, so Moon of the Crested Snow, and there were two other here, two other here's that uh, Paul Daniel put in the script, Mexican Gothic as well as Hotline. 
Yeah, so Mexican Gothic is um, a book published in 2020, and it won the British Fantasy Society's book for best horror novel. So you don't often see a lot of horror novels on the CBC Canada Reads. So I thought I would bring this one forward to well-reviewed, uh, bestseller, uh, Canadian author. And so one I think that you know folks should check out, even if it doesn't make the shortlist. Karen, I want to ask you one last question about Canada Reads because there's something about the format that really, really works. And I feel like a lot of literary folks really like the way this is done. In your circles, because you run in these circles, what's the general impression of the way that Canada Reads works? Well, there's lots of different one book, one community kind of um, uh, programs out there. Lots of libraries run them. But from a national perspective, I think it's really interesting that we all start talking about the same books and we all talk about them from our own perspectives. I love that there's a defender that's not the author that can bring a different perspective into the conversations. Uh, it's great for, you know, just getting those conversations started. It's great for book sales. It's great for author awareness. Uh, but also, I think that there's, you know, deeper conversations that happen. If you don't belong to a book club, this is a great way to kind of sort of peek in on what a book club might be like. And I love that the, the defenders are so passionate about their books. They choose them yeah. out of the list. So they 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 want folks to read these books. They it's have a, a real stake in it. It's a really brilliant way of executing an award. There's so many award shows we were talking about it this week, how they can fly under the radar because it's just, okay, let's all sit in a room and announce some winners. Whereas this, it's people grappling with the content and reasoning with one another. It's a really, really beautiful thing. It's like a broadcast book club. It, it really works out. Karen, speaking of the book club. If we were running the Karen McKay book club, your featured titles would always be riveting. And typically you bring a theme to us that's really specific. This week we're doing something a little bit different. We're saying, hey, there's a lot of stuff that maybe haven't fit into a broader theme that are newer releases that you want to highlight. So let's start with one called we were, oh, make sure I got this one right. We were dreamers, an immigrant superhero origin story by Simu Liu. So all of the books that I brought today are all on the Canada Reads long list. So that's the sort of overall theme. So this book um, is a memoir by Simu Liu. And so folks may know his name. He's an actor. He was on Kim's Convenience uh, and probably got more uh, presence on the Marvel film, Shanghai and the Legend of Ten Rings. I know that that was a big hit with the guys in my household. So this book is narrated by the author and it takes us back to his childhood where he was left in the care of his grandparents when his parents immigrated to Canada. And after a time they returned to get him and bring him back to Canada to live with them. But it's challenging because they've been apart for so long, those bonds were difficult to restore. There was lots of friction in the home. Uh, he says that they were separated by culture and language and values and that they were much harsher than his grandparents. So that was sort of his early life. Uh, he does his best to live up to his parents' very high expectations. He gets straight A's. He crushes national math competitions, he makes his parents proud, but he becomes increasingly disillusioned about all the expectations placed on his shoulder. He goes to university, he does an accounting degree, surprisingly, uh, but then he loses his first job, he becomes unemployed. And so he turns his, his attention to something that he'd been thinking about a long time, which is show business. Uh, and anyway, we get through the the sort of story about how he becomes to be an actor, all of the experiences he has dealing with racism in that realm. 
Uh, he's an immigrant who battles everything from parental expectations to cultural stereotypes, and he forges a path for himself. So he obviously becomes incredibly successful. Uh, and then we get to sort of see how once he finds his place in the world and is comfortable, it allows for some reconciliation. I think that's true for both him and his parents. They sort of become comfortable in their new um, community here in Canada. And it's an excellent book. If you love the actor, it's a great way to sort of learn about his backstory. And another one here you've got is We Spread by Ian Reid. Yeah, so this one's interesting. It's just, it's defined as a philosophical suspense novel. Uh, it starts with Penny, who's an artist. She's lived in the same apartment for decades, and she's surrounded by all the artifacts and keepsakes of her life. She's sort of resigned to the mundane rituals of old age until things start to fall apart for her. Her husband has passed away, and she... Um, has sort of made plans to go and stay in a very unique care residence. So she's initially happy when she moves there, but things start to sort of fall apart. The days start to blur and she has a growing sense of unrest and disease, uh, distrust rather, as she sort of starts to lose her grip on the world around her. She begins to wonder if she's succumbing to something that's more destructive than just the subtle effects of aging. So this Book, sort of a quiet slow burn the suspense i think is really a metaphor for the process of aging and the idea of not being able to really care for ourselves the way we used to being in the mercy of our caregivers ian reed does a really excellent job drawing the reader in you really feel the unease and then the fear and the doom that penny does as she tries desperately to get a grip of what's going on it's a beautiful book it explores conformity and art and productivity and relationships but ultimately what it means to grow old karen give me one minute on half beds in white regalia a memoir by Cody Catano. So this is his debut memoir. It was written part of it as part of his master's degree in creative writing at University of Toronto. And it was inspired by The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls, which he read at 16. Uh, Cody lives with his parents in a place called Happy Land, which is just on Lake Kuchiching on the edge of Muskoka. And they have um, his parents have jobs at the casino, but then eventually they get divorced and they end up leaving Cody and his siblings on their own in this crazy old Gothic house. Um, and so the, the three siblings need to figure out how to navigate everything from burst pipes to the electricity being cutting off to getting food on the table. They find themselves in some pretty precarious uh, situations, but they also find moments of joy and they resist letting their circumstances really define them. Cody said he was really inspired by the glass castle. You can see that in this book. If you've read that book, you'll probably really like this one. And he does a really great job of conveying the warmth and love he has for his family. He doesn't judge them, which is something that Jeanette Walls actually had said about not a storyteller not judging the characters. Beautiful mm -hmm. book. Uh, he's a new writer that folks should really be paying attention to. And 30 seconds, but it's a hard 30, Karen. Reverie, a year of the Bees by Jenna Butler. This is a really beautiful memoir about a black woman. She's a farmer and a beekeeper in Alberta. And it's all about how uh, keeping bees has both made her more informed about climate change and about our environment and about our food systems, but also it helps her heal from trauma. One of the beautiful uh, lines is that she said, the bees have taught me to breathe, to sit with wounding for a moment and to let it go. Gorgeous, lovely, quiet book. That one's going to get a lot of buzz. Karen, thank you for this. It's always lovely catching up with you. All the best, and we'll talk to you in two weeks. Happy New Year. Thanks so much. That's Karen McKay, Communications Manager at the Center for Equitable Library Access. You can follow them on Twitter at Sela Library. That's C-E-L-E.
A Library on Twitter. That's all the time we have for the show today. That's all the time we have for the show this week. Don't you worry, though. We'll be back on Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Marco Pasquale will be here. We'll also be joined by Marco Flalo. Lots coming your way on the show. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. And like we do on Friday, going back in time here, we're saying roll those credits, gang. Host, Dave Brown. Co-host producer, Alex Smythe. Sports reporter, Brock Richardson. Contributors, Rami Amuthan, Nazreen Abdel-Majid. Senior show producer, Andrika Delanerol. Visual producer, Bruce Baclarian. Producers, Paul Daniel, Marianne Dion jones Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Director, Anastasia Spalding-Stenhouse. Control room operators, Daniel Panamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby. Manager of operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of live production, Paula Deneen. Director of content development, Kara Nye. Vice President of Programming, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media, Inc. NAMI Original Production. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.